for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. It's risen indeed. What a morning, the greatest day in history. And uh, we're just going to read, I'm just going to read a few verses. Uh, when I prayed about this message, I, I could have come at it in different ways, could have come at it from the analytical, uh, disposing of all the arguments that you might have, but I just felt God just lead me in an, another direction, that will unfold as we go through the message this morning. But first of all, just a few verses then, just to remind ourselves, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple and the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they've taken away the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. And Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb and they they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and he reached the tomb first and he stooped in and he looked and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in and then Simon Peter arrived and he went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. This morning, I'm going to be looking at the question, what has it all got to do with me? Why should I why should you believe in Jesus? What has it all got to do with me? Why should I, why should you believe in Jesus? After all, this man lived 2,000 years ago. He was born, he lived, he died. Many other people have been born and lived and died in that time. But of course, there is a, a distinct fact that we've celebrated this morning that this man not only was born and lived and died, he rose again. An astounding fact. He is alive today. And we heard that scripture a little bit earlier, how that he is in the glory with the Father and being worshipped by people from every tribe and tongue and nation. So, this Jesus, okay, he's a a person of history, but the fact that he, he was born, he lived, he died, and he rose again, what has that got to do with you? And what has that got to do with me? And I want to say to you, it has everything to do with you, and it has everything to do with me. You see, we need to step back and take a bigger look at the story that you and I are involved in, this drama of world history. You see, we live in a world that is focused on you, and it's focused on me. And the big song is Frank Sinatra's, I Did It My Way. That is the the way of modern man. The world is centered in me and around me. It's all about me. I make the world what I choose to make it. You make the world what you choose to make it. But when we step back out, outside of that small world of ours and we, we look at this world in which we find ourselves and we step into the drama that is before us, this world of human history, we discover that we are a player in a much bigger world. That you and I are not an accident of time. Uh, that we are not an accident of time and circumstance. We are here because there is a God. We're here because there is a God. And so, right back at the beginning of the Bible, we read, in the beginning, God. No explanation, just in the beginning, God. And you might want to 
have an argument about that. You might want to, all sorts of things this morning as I mention that. You might say, well, God? God what? God who? God how? But the Bible just simply starts with this. In the beginning, God. And so we have to go back into time and to find some sense of meaning and understanding, not only to our own lives, but to who Jesus Christ was and why he died. And Jesus was with God. He was with the Father and the Son. He was God. There was this community of being right at the heart of the universe before anything was ever created. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in joyous, holy, happy, loving, delightful community. And out of that joyous, holy, happy, loving, delightful community, God decides to create. And so it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we get this sense of this magnificent creation that we are part of. And you and I have the privilege today of being able to watch all sorts of programs that marvel at the world that we find ourselves in. Not only at the world we find ourselves in, of this amazing cosmos, this intricately balanced cosmos, this world that is made just right for you and I to live and breathe and have our being. And so God created. He created the cosmos, the earth. He created humanity uh, to live upon it. And there was something so distinct about this creation of humanity that was different from everything else. It was stamped, it was marked with the image of God. God breathed into man and he became a living being so distinct from the rest of creation made specially to have fellowship with God. And that wonderful to live in the fellowship of the community of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they enjoyed that fellowship right back there at the beginning. It is that that puts value on your life and mine. It is that that gives us dignity and gives us purpose. The fact that we are made in the image of God. Turn to the person next to you and say, Did you know I am made in the image of God? You see, we're living in a world that's looking for value. We're living in a world that's looking for dignity. We're living in a world that is looking for meaning. And we find that by going back to this revelation that we have. In the beginning, God. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God made us in his image. But of course, you and I don't have to go far to find out that this world is not as it should be. All you've got to do is open your newspaper. All you've got to do is turn on the television and you find that we are living in a broken world. A world that is, is busted in every way that you could possibly imagine. There are large headlines and there are smaller ones that never make the headlines. There's your story and my story. When things are not right, things go wrong. Somehow... And I've used the picture of a human heart that expresses something of the brokenness that we have in our lives. You see, something has happened at the very core of our beings that has affected not only our beings and caused us to be broken inside, but has caused us to be broken in our relationship with God and broken in our relationship with others. There is a brokenness to the world in which we find ourselves for all of our education, for all of our social welfare, for all of our advances in science, we still haven't solved the problem of the human heart because that problem is solved by somebody other than ourselves. And that is solved by the one who made us for himself in the first place. 
we will never understand the Easter story unless we understand the beginning of the story. Unless we understand there was a God and God made us in his, in his image for himself. Unless we understand that in some way or other it is broken. Broken down in a way that we possibly cannot repair it. There is no way we can't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can't improve our, ourselves in a way that is sufficient for God to accept us. And we discover that right there, when that happened, God was angry. And angry is a manifestation of love. You see, God had made everything beautiful. The world, he had made us beautiful. He had made us for a beautiful relationship with himself and suddenly it was busted. It was broken. And God is rightly angry. That is a manifestation of the love of God. And so right there in the garden, right at the very beginning, we find God coming down to fellowship with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. But suddenly they're not looking for him. They don't want to be with the one whom they've enjoyed so much fellowship with. Suddenly they've gone into hiding. That's what sin does. And God doesn't cry out in some angry pointing finger way, Adam, where are you? It is an appeal that comes from his heart. Adam, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I've come down in the cool of the day for this, this time that we have together and, and you're hiding from me. Adam, I love you. Where are you? And God has a plan. God has a plan. He had seen what would go wrong. And he had a plan. Why, where, when, how, what, who. Thank God he had a plan. And he had a plan that was conceived in the heart of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that. Conceived in the heart of the Trinity that the Son would come and he would enter this world at a specific point in time to pay the price for our sin in order that we should be reconciled to God. But this plan had to be worked out and it was worked out over a long period of time and so we discover in the story God chooses a man, Abraham. He was a pagan. God calls on him and he believes in him and Abraham is obedient and he follows uh, the word of the Lord. And out of Abraham we get a family and we get a nation and we get the unfolding purposes of God in human history. And one of the things that that story tells us as we see it developing from a family to a nation to the nation of Israel, we see the worship of God and we see that God is so holy that you can't approach God casually because of all that is wrong with us. That even for somebody to go into the temple once a year, they had to go in with an offering. And there was always the fear that they might be judged in there and have to be pulled out. And so one thing we learn is that this God who is love is utterly holy, is utterly pure, is utterly beautiful in every conceivable way. And we are tainted. We are broken. And in and of ourselves, we cannot come near to God. But God has a plan. And that plan is Jesus. 
that plan is Jesus. A staggering plan that God himself, in the person of his son, was to to come and, and take on flesh like ours, be born as a baby, a vulnerable baby in Bethlehem, was to be raised by parents, and was to learn above all to be obedient to his Father in heaven. He takes on flesh just like yours. He takes on flesh just like mine. He knows all the temptations. He knows all the frustrations. He knows all the trials. But it says he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Day by day, he said no to Satan and sin. And every day, he said yes to his Father and righteousness. Day by day, day by day, day by day. He knew what it was to be tempted and tried. And and then as you begin to enter the Easter story, you begin to feel the weight of darkness. You begin to feel the oppressiveness of the enemy as he encroaches upon Jesus, trying to find another way in, trying to prevent the Son of God from going to the cross. Because he knows, he knows what Jesus is here to do. And so... Uh, as, as Jesus sets his face as a flint to go to Calvary, we find Jesus in a garden. And he's in a garden and he, he, he feels the weight of what he's about to accomplish. And what he's, what his death is going to be like no other death that's ever happened before or will happen since. And people have died in some pretty horrendous ways throughout human history. But his death will have no comparison to any other death that has taken place. And Jesus says, as he's in the garden with his disciples, he says, my soul is an exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. That was the weight, brothers and sisters, of our sin. That was the the brokenness of our humanity. That was knowing that at some point he was going to go into this death that was the sinner's death that was judgment by God, a holy God. In his birth, in his life, in the cross, in the death and resurrection of Jesus is the whole story. He was born for our salvation. He was called Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. And so there he is in the garden, And he goes to pray several times and he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Oh yes, he felt the weight of all our sin from the whitest of lies to the most hyenas of crimes. He felt the weight of every sin coming upon him as he was about to bear its judgment. Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. That was his humanness. That was Jesus in flesh feeling everything about what the cross was going to be and more. But he says, nevertheless, not what I will, but your will be done. We underestimate the battle that was taking place there. Throughout the life of Jesus, Satan had been contending the purposes of God as he had contended it with Adam right at the beginning. Jesus comes as a second Adam to undo old Adam's work. And Satan contends it all the way from his very birth 
right up to his death. And Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. Hallelujah for that. That should be a big hallelujah in every heart, upon every lip. Because if you buckled at that point, all would have been lost. As the, as the minions of hell crowded around him, trying to, by his very feelings, by the, by, by, by the words, by the very weight of it, to deter him from the cross, he feels it humanly. And he says, Father, your will, your will be done. And so he goes to the cross, bearing our brokenness, brokenness. He was made sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. That's a job for us perhaps to get our heads around, but it was charged to his account. Everything that was in the negative in our account was charged to Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God. He takes every sin that you have ever committed or will ever commit and he bears it in his own body on the tree and he pays the price for all our sin. When I think of mine, it's enough. But then compound it by the whole of humanity and feel something of the weight of it. He goes there. And so on the cross, we have that momentous event. Where Jesus is fully in control. Those who are being crucified with him are railing on him. Ha! You're the son of God, are you? What can you do now? But as the time ebbs away, one of them begins to realize that this man is different. And in the, in the midst of the, the scorn that's being poured from those who are watching, the scorn that's on, from those on the, on the cross either side, he begins to realize something is different about this man. And he acknowledges it. And in a moment, Jesus turns to him and says, this day, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. It's never too late to turn to Jesus Christ. Never. In your dying moments, but better not to leave it until your dying moment. Isaiah 53 talks about something that Jesus experienced on the cross, how he was crushed, how he was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and he went down into death. But as he does so, he does so with a momentous cry. He stretches himself up upon that cross and in one last gasp of breath, he draws his breath and he cries out, It is finished. Hallelujah. It is finished. The work of salvation was done. In a moment, it is done. 
That event changed human history. It changed human history. It is finished. Jesus paid the price for our sin in full. All our sin on Jesus was laid. All of it. It was paid in full. Nothing has been forgotten anywhere. And how the enemy loves to drag up things and remind you of them. But God had got it all covered in Jesus. Paid in full. So Jesus took all of our sin unto himself. In order that he might give us his full and complete righteousness. We love the grace of God because being a Christian is not about how well I am doing. It's how well he has done. Amen? Amen. I've sat with people in their dying hours who in those dying hours have been tormented by the enemy and made to think that in some way or other it depended a little bit on them. If it depends a little bit on you, you're in trouble. Yeah? It depends everything on Jesus. Everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's say that together. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Once more. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's why we can rejoice, isn't it? That's why Easter Sunday is so amazing. Because Easter Sunday is the experience of every Christian's life every day. We have a risen Savior. Hallelujah. Wonderful. So, in Jesus. So, going back to the original question. What has it all got to do with me? You see, it has an awful lot to do with you. There is a God who created, who made us in his image, who for fellowship with himself. We discover that in some way we are broken and it's past our ability to put ourselves back together. That God was angry at our sin and justice needed to be done and and that was love. And God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Jesus came in the plan of God. He was born, he lived, he He went to the cross, he he died, he went down into the darkness and the desolation and even that sense of separation when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't explain that. Forsakenness in the heart of God. But it's there. But on Easter morning he rises again having defeated Satan at every turn throughout his life and defeated him in his death, having defeated sin in every way it had come at him through temptation and then he takes our sin to himself and he pays the price for it, having defeated the very enemy that has been our experience day in and day out ever since humanity fell, death. He defeats death. He defeats hell. And he rises again. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so through that we we experience forgiveness. 
We experience what it is to be made clean. We experience what it is to be, to be healed. We experience what it is to, to be renewed. We experience what it is to have hope. We experience a relationship restored. Hallelujah. Wow. So what does Easter have to do with you? What does Easter have to do with me? It has to do with a relationship that was broken and is restored in Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Let me ask you this morning, do you know him? Do you, do you know this saviour? In a few moments, there are going to be uh, three people who are going to be baptised in water. That's not going to make them a Christian. It is because they have come to know Christ already. Jesus was baptised to identify with us in our, in our brokenness and our fullness. And today, we, when we believe in Jesus, we are baptised because of our faith in this one. The Supreme One, the Living One, the Resurrected One. We say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you and I want to identify with you and I will follow you through the waters of baptism. And how the enemy contests that as well because he knows what that means for the Christian life. There are three people who are going to be baptised. Not to make them Christians, but because they've already met the risen Saviour. Have you met the risen Saviour? Do you know him this morning? Maybe you, you've been to church all of your life and you've never encountered the reality of Christ for yourself. You've never crossed that line into the kingdom of God. Maybe you are here for this first time and all of this seems strange and weird to you. And I trust that in some way the Holy Spirit is just making the message real in your heart and vital to you. Because you don't have to understand everything. It's a simple gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You mean I, I don't have to go to a lot of classes? No, you don't. Going to Alpha will help and you may come to know Christ through it, but you don't have to wait to Alpha to get to know Jesus. You can then go on Alpha to discover more about Jesus and the Christian life. But in a moment, right now, you could put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You could believe in him. Indeed, the scripture commands you to. Why? Why does it, it issue such a command? It's because God, who made us for himself, who loves you, says, come. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a turmoil in your heart that only God can still. A storm there that only Jesus can speak his peace to. If you're a Christian this morning, then brothers and sisters, what a gospel. What a gospel. Maybe the enemy has been trying to rob you of your joy in Jesus because you have taken your eyes off Jesus, off the finished work of Jesus Christ. The fact that it is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Hallelujah. Let's just pray.